Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This is a special edition of the South Harbor Church Podcast, which was recorded at our Holy Thursday service last week. Our worship director, Jared, will be bringing us a message that takes us on a journey that begins with the celebration of Passover and brings us to the celebration of communion or the Lord's Supper. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Jared as he brings us this message on communion. Good evening, my name is Jared. I am the worship director here, Uh, but I get to have the privilege of sharing some things with you uh, tonight. I want to start with this from Jesus. He says this, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Let that sink in just a minute. Jesus says, I have eagerly desired. I know that often in my desire to study Jesus' teachings, sometimes I forget to actually study Jesus. He is a real person. It's so important that we remember that he was fully God and fully human. The reality of communion, the thing we're here to do tonight, incarnationally present in the world. Tonight, I want to spend some time looking at the practice of communion. Uh, Sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper. Ask the questions, where did this come from? What did Jesus change on that night? when he had this with his disciples. And what does that mean for us today? So a little journey. Where does the practice of communion come from? I think many of us are aware that the the sacrament of communion comes out of the Jewish practice of Passover. Uh, The Passover feast has been practiced for thousands of years. Its purpose was to remind the Jewish people both where they had come from and where they were going. The place they had come from was slavery in Egypt. Through a series of 10 plagues, God arranged for the liberation of his people. The final plague is pretty terrifying, and yet it is the linchpin for the celebration of Passover. In the book of Exodus, we read the establishment of the Passover feast. In it, God gives some very specific instructions, how to prepare the meal, how to dress while you're eating it, and a whole lot of other things that we really just don't have time uh, to get into tonight. Uh, However, after all the instructions for how to prepare this feast, we read this. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe the ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. 
So first, I want to acknowledge that reading about blood sacrifice is a little difficult for modern ears. Yes, uh, we're removed a really, really long way from the culture that lived in Egypt all those thousands of years ago. But while we may struggle to hear it, these events took place in a real place, in a real time, with real elements that meant something important to the people who were practicing them. Of course, it also held great significance for Jesus and his disciples. They were all Jewish, and we can't assume that they would have celebrated this meal every year of their lives. They would probably have known the entire script by heart, which is saying something. Uh, when I was preparing for this and talking with Tim and Jeremy, one of the pastors over at Fairhaven, he sent me a script of a modern-day Passover feast. It's 14 pages. There was some work involved. And I really wish we had time to go into all the symbolism. Like the further I got into it, the more I was like, there is so much here. And maybe at some point in the future, we'll hold a Passover Seder. I know this is something that we've talked about in the past and spend a little time connecting. And we've got to realize that we actually connect to this thing on a regular basis. That every time we celebrate communion, we are actually celebrating the one the Passover feast was meant to point us to. Remember that Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Today, we can see that the Passover lamb was a picture for Jesus. But before we get to what that means for us, we should take a look at how this experience was changed by Jesus as he fulfilled the law. So we're going to go to Luke, uh, where we started uh, tonight with that quote from Jesus, and we're going to read the story. And so uh, it begins this way. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles, apostles reclined at the table. Okay, quick pause. Uh, turns out <laughs> uh, reclining is a part of the script. This is not uh, just a meaningless detail that Luke throws in for no reason. Uh, it was common for royalty to recline while they ate. Uh, kind of brings a whole new meaning to the concept of comfort food, I guess. Uh, royalty is, of course, free to eat however they choose. But in this case, we see that they can be completely at their ease. The Israelites are reminded that they are to feast like royalty. Okay, back into the story. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. At this point, I think it's fair that we wonder if the disciples are starting to wonder if something's up. The script for this feast has been in place for centuries. And it seems like Jesus is starting to ad-lib a little bit with the script. What does he mean he won't be doing it again? Why not next year? The same as every year that's happened so far. We continue. And he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now they've got to know something's going on. The bread which Jesus broke was already filled with symbolism from that script uh, from the Passover Seder. At this point in the, in the feast, the leader says, lo, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in their need. Let us whom God's mercy has freed now remember those who are still oppressed and resolve to aid them with all our means. Let those who are hungry come and eat. Let those who are in want come and celebrate the Passover with us 
God grant that next year at this time, the whole house of Israel may be free. Notice the original remembrance of those who were still oppressed. The bread had been eaten for centuries to remind the Israelites of what their ancestors had been through and their obligation to others because of the freedom that God had given them. Now, Jesus shifts that remembrance from those who are oppressed to himself. Could it be that he is foreshadowing to them that his sacrifice will ultimately offer freedom to everyone? We continue with the story. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Okay, we have to hold on. We have to ask another question, which is, didn't he already take the cup? There's two cups. What's going on here? Turns out during the Passover, there's actually four cups. Um, And it seems like scholars are actually telling us that even the, the multiple cups is actually a reference to a cup that was sipped from four times. And so uh, when we read in some of the other accounts, it only references the one cup. And so sometimes we struggle with like, why are there two sets of details? Well, different authors with different audiences are asking us to consider different aspects of the story. Of course, what's way more important than the number of cups is Jesus' reframing of an ancient covenant. The old covenant would refer to the agreement that God made with Israel after freeing them from Egypt. The terms of the agreement began when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai And then simply stated, required the Israelites adherence to the law in exchange for guidance and protection. Again, we see Jesus not abolishing, but fulfilling the law. And he establishes a new agreement around it in his blood. So what does all that mean? Unfortunately, we know that Israel had a really hard time keeping up their end of these agreements. uh, And often would suffer the effects of their disobedience. However, it seems that time and time again, God would offer a renewal of the covenant and there would be this cycle of covenant, disobedience, curse, repentance, sacrifice, and a new agreement or a renewal of the existing one. But at a certain point, we even read uh, from the prophet Jeremiah that he thought that this agreement that God had made with Israel had become so broken that it was beyond repair. And there was going to need to be a new one in place. And so Jesus enters at the Passover feast. This is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Again, I know the idea of blood sacrifice is hard to hear. And, and while we don't have time to like, go on a deep dive into the sacrificial system, for our purposes tonight, we can see that Jesus is setting himself up to stand in the place of the sacrificial lamb. It's at this moment that we come to the heart of the matter. We can say that Passover is both a celebration of the real event of Israel's release from bondage and served as an image of what was to come, namely Jesus, who was God made flesh, becoming the perfect sacrifice for the sins of everyone everywhere. So, why continue this celebration? Isn't it enough to know that we were saved by Jesus' work and kind of skip the part where we are reminded of all of these details that are kind of hard to deal with? Well, I think we need to remember that part of the command of Passover was that it should be celebrated from then on. 
If Jesus fulfilled the law, do we still need to remember? Well, as the last line from the Seder says, next year in Jerusalem, we realize the story isn't over. God's kingdom has not yet been put in place forever here on the earth. And while we no longer wait for the sacrificial lamb, we do await the final restoration of all things. And so we continue the practice until Jesus comes again. Now, it seems like we could stop there and have communion, right? There's actually one more place I'd love for us to go. We've set up the history of the practice and looked at Jesus' words in the moment. Is there something else that we can take from this? Uh, I think yes, and I think it's here that the very realness, the very human, real person of Jesus uh, in the practice of communion really begins to take shape. Uh, At this point, I also want to admit (laughs) that I'm going to enter into some ideas that I've only like literally in the last few weeks been asked to wrestle with as a part of my class at the seminary. Uh, But as I've been wrestling with them, there have been some really powerful things that I've come across. And so I want to share those things with you. And before we go any further, I also want to acknowledge that the church has had some pretty, how shall we say, passionate discussions <laughs> around the practice of communion. Who should get to have it? How we should perform this ceremony? What's even going on when we do this? These questions have been argued for a really long time. And rather than try to tackle a conversation that's been going on for like a thousand years, <laughs> I want to zero in on one thing that really just hit home for me as I was studying these things. Consider this. Jesus says, this is my body. kind of curious. He could have said something like, this represents my body, which kind of on the surface seems like it would make a lot more sense anyway, right? Obviously, the bread is bread. It doesn't magically turn into Jesus's body somehow. And yet Jesus chooses to continue this Passover practice using something tangible that was in fact edible and meant to be eaten. Why? Well, for some help on this, we're going to turn to, uh, I think, who is Tierra's second favorite theologian, John Calvin. Uh, And I want to propose that in communion, we are indeed in communion with each other and with the real person of Jesus. With each other seems kind of obvious. We're all here. We're going to do it together, right? But Jesus, well, come with me on this one. So John Calvin puts it this way uh, in the Institutes. He says this. Thus, when bread is given as a symbol of Christ's body, we must at the same time grasp this comparison. As bread nourishes, sustains, and keeps the life of our body, so Christ's body is the only food to invigorate and enliven our soul. And he goes on to be quite clear about the fact that this is a spiritual experience. Our connection to Christ's body happens not on this physical plane, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. The bread and wine were meant to be a reminder and a sign and seal of God's promise of the new covenant and an act by which we are joined with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Something else that we need to hold intention. Just because it's spiritual doesn't make it any less real. Our modern post-enlightenment culture 
really, really wants to believe that the only things that are real are things that we can physically measure and sense. But the reality is most of human history hasn't been limited by this way of thinking. The culture of Jesus' time certainly wasn't limited by this way of thinking, and we need to be careful that we don't actually gloss over the reality of spiritual things like they're just a metaphor. It's real. Which brings us to the reason we're here tonight, to consider Jesus' death on the cross. It's important that we remember that this entire practice had a sacrificial lamb at its center. Tonight, we are reminded that this night was the last peaceful moments Jesus would have with his friends until after his resurrection. We read of his love for them as he desired to share the Passover with them. We read of his anguish in the garden where he wept tears that looked like drops of blood. And he comes to where he says, Father, not my will, but yours. This fulfilling of the law was no small thing. It was no easy thing. It wasn't just the birth in the manger and the wise men and the angels. But in fact, the price of our redemption would cost the suffering and death of the very prince of heaven himself. I know that I've been guilty of reducing communion to just a thing to remember. That I've lost the connection to the bigger story at times. In fact, until recently, I'd never even considered that there may be something actually really significant spiritually going on. That in a way, this act of eating bread and drinking juice actually connects us to Jesus through the Spirit. Which then gives all of this weight to Paul when he was talking to the church in Corinth and he was admonishing them for coming to this table before they had considered their sin. I'm not sure the weight of the act was really in their hearts and minds. Of course, we can be sure that in Christ's sacrifice, our sins are covered, but our lives are a daily act of repentance and resubmission to God's will. So tonight, we will once again come to the table. We will once again do this in remembrance of Jesus. And we will once again be brought into communion with the risen, living Christ. Since we have some time tonight to take our time, I thought that we would actually work through our own official script for the ceremony. I know for some of us, uh, this holds a lot of memory. And I hope that it will not be just another repetition of a million repetitions, but perhaps an opportunity to re-engage these old words. For others of us, like myself included, I'm coming to these words for basically what amounts to the very first time. My prayer is that for whichever group you find yourself in, that in taking the time to process, we may find some new depth to this ancient practice. Friends, I also eagerly desire to eat this meal with you that you would sense the immense love God has for all of humanity in giving his son Jesus, and that perhaps 
you would consider a deeper connection to the risen, living Jesus than you have before. So if you've, um, if you've been with us on a Sunday morning, taking with communion with us, we're gonna do it a little different tonight. And so uh, uh, just a couple of instructions on that. Um, when it comes time to actually come to the table, we'll ask that if everybody could just come to this aisle, we just have one table tonight. We're gonna share the table, all of us together tonight, on uh, a picture of unity. And so if you can just make your way to the aisle, then you can make your way back to your seats. The other thing is, is if you've been with us on past Monday Thursday services, a lot of times we just simply close with the partaking communion. But tonight we actually have a little more for us to do uh, after we've taken the elements. And so I want to invite you back to your seats uh, and then we'll finish from there. Okay. Um, and so if um, Tiara can join me and if the band wants to make their way to the stage, uh, we are going to head into the liturgy. And so there will be, um, there will be uh, parts of this that are for you uh, to do. And so when it comes time for that, it will appear on the screen. Uh, there'll be leader cues. And then where it says all is for you to join us, if you would, please. And so, <laughs> beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper, which we are about to celebrate, is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We come in remembrance that our Lord Jesus Christ was sent of the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation that we might be accepted of God and never be forsaken by him. We have come to have communion with this same Christ who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. In the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto eternal life. In the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. And we come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and a foretaste of the feast of love of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come. When, his, when with unveiled face we shall behold him, made like unto him in his glory. Since by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unites us all in one body, so are we to receive this supper in true love, mindful of the communion of saints. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Holy and right it is, and our joyful duty to give thanks to you at all times and in all places. O Lord, our creator, almighty and everlasting God, you created heaven with all its hosts and the earth with all its plenty. You have given us life and being and preserve us by your providence. But you have shown us the fullness of your love in sending into the world your son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty savior who has reconciled us to you, we praise and bless you, O oh God, with your whole church on earth and with all the company of heaven, we worship 
and adore your glorious name. Holy, 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 Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Most righteous God, we remember in this supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. In the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices. Together we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ Christ has died. Christ Christ is risen. Christ Christ will come again. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Grant that, being joined together in him, we may attain to the unity of the faith and grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, gathered together with his friends. And during that meal, at one point, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it. And then he broke it. And then he gave it to them saying, this bread is my body, which is given for you. And as often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. And in the same manner also, he took the cup when they had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Friends, the bread which we break is our communion with the body of Christ. The cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. And so now I invite you to come, for all things are made ready. Brothers and sisters, since the Lord has now fed us at his table, let us praise God's holy name with heartfelt thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all all that that is is within within me, bless bless his his holy holy name. name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And do not forget all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, So the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, and will also give us all things with him. 
Therefore shall my mouth and heart show forth the praise of the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. We praise and thank you, O Lord, that you have fed us at your table. Grateful for your gifts and mindful of the communion of your saints, we offer to you our prayers for all people. O Savior God, look upon your church and its struggle upon the earth. Have mercy on its weakness, bring to an end its unhappy divisions, and scatter its fears. Look also upon the ministry of your church, increase its courage, strengthen its faith, and inspire its witness to all people, even to the ends of the earth. Author of grace and God of love, send your Holy Spirit's blessing to your children here present, and keep our hearts and thoughts in Jesus Christ, your Son, our only Savior, who has taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And so if you would stand, please. Friends, as we go, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And so as we close tonight, and we want to give you just a little space. If you want to stay in this room and reflect a bit on the sacrifice of Jesus, we invite you to stay. Uh, and as you're ready to leave, we would just ask that you would please leave in silence as we continue to ponder Christ's sacrifice. And so friends, go in peace. As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.